Good morning. I'm on time. I'm pretty good. 8.10 here in the morning. It's uh, it's hot here today. I don't know. Let's look at the messages. Stefan here. Stefan's definitely not hot today <laughs> in Iceland. But you're not swallowed by a volcano either, mate. So that's, uh, that's a plus. We're at, uh, let's check the weather station here. 8.10 in the morning, 30.6 Celsius. Yesterday, we just hit just over 34, 34.1, which is lovely. It's so nice here. First day of summer for us. Here in Australia, we count the summer by the calendar month or the seasons by the calendar month. So, it, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a proper feeling summer here, which is nice. Scott Helms here. Can you see me, mate? <laughs> Scott, Scott, per his Twitter, he has said this publicly, has had his, uh, his eyes lasered, which... Uh, which sounds much easier than what I thought it would be. I, I saw your tweets, mate. You said it was like a 10-minute job, and then you just had to wear sunglasses. Um, video choppy. Is it for other people? Uh, yeah, well, you can see me anyway. The stream's current bit rate at 2,000-something kilobits is lower than the recommended bit rate. We recommend that you use a stream... And then it... Use a stream bit rate of 6,800. Well, Okay. It's your eyes, Scott. Jamie says it's your eyes. <laughs> Something to that effect. Stephen says it's your eyes too. I don't know. <laughs> I'd go back and get a refund, mate, if I were you. Uh, going to do it again. Literally 10 minutes an hour. So I thought you were going to say like you'd had some uh, sort of general anesthetic and you're going to be all drugged up. And uh, and no, so you can't, can't blame it on the drugs. So yeah, it's getting warm here. I posted some photos yesterday. We, we had a, a boat working day yesterday, which was nice. It's just... It's so nice. <laughs> Water is so good. It was beautiful. All right, where are we? Click the link there to tweet the live thing. Let's do sponsor, which I could always do sponsor off by heart now. It's Clyde. <laughs> so Clyde has been a very, very long-term sponsor now. Clyde ensures that if the device isn't secure, it can't access your apps. It's device trust for Okta. Watch the demo today. Uh, I have had Clyde here for many weeks this year, last year. We'll see him a lot next year as well. They've got a demo out there. Challenges of implementing device trust with Okta. How Clyde integrates with Okta to keep untrusted devices from accessing your company's apps. How end user remediation removes the IT bottleneck that often derails zero trust initiatives. Uh, and if there was any time to be talking about zero trust, it's not on my agenda for today, but the amount of ransomware stuff at the moment is just nuts. So, uh there's usually one ingress, ingress, ingress point, and then it egresses out of everywhere. But uh, go and check out Collide, and a big thanks to them for their sponsorship and ongoing support. Scott says the video is stabilized for me. Did you put your glasses back on, mate? Maybe that was it. Maybe that was it. Well, you know, I'll check it later on. Uh, I have had people before say that. I do wonder if it it, it is just an individual thing. I don't know why I'm getting this... Um, Bitrate complaint here because I'm streaming out of OBS. Does OBS tell you what the what the you know what it does say twenty six seventy kilobits a second, which is pretty much what YouTube says. I'm sure you can change that on the fly and nothing would go wrong, could you? No, I'll do that later. It's good enough. It's good enough for now. All right, where's my list? Um, I ordered a new printer. Ordered a new presser. I got sucked into one of those Black Friday deals. Uh, which I thought was an American thing, but apparently it's everywhere now. Which did bring up a whole bunch of issues here. What happened last week? 
Oh, all right, yeah, of course, when I was doing the video, Harvey Norman. For those of you who missed it last week, <laughs> our biggest online retailer. And, of course, I did this in the afternoon last week, so it would have completely ruled out anyone on the US side of the world. But our biggest uh, electronics retailer, Harvey Norman, our biggest, one of our biggest. Ah, they're big. Their online website, they started literally putting people in a queue. Like, you go to the website, it's like, I'm sorry, we're too busy to take your order. Please wait here for 10 minutes, and there's like a little counter. And then when you get in, you've only got 10 minutes to order your things, and then we're going to boot you out. Uh, and apparently, allegedly, and it was in the news as well, so it must be real, apparently it was just like literally under-provisioning, unable to support the uh, the request, which is kind of nuts. But yeah, here we are. So that was Black Friday. I saw the Black Friday deal for the Prusa printers, and I had to get one because the deal was you get free international shipping, and we are as far away as, or from Prague, as pretty much anywhere. So there was that. And I did, uh, I, I was toying with the idea of that Mark IV for quite some time. So I bought the Mark III several years ago now. Yeah, it would be almost three years ago because it was when... I was in Adelaide at the beginning of 2021. I saw it uh, at a mate of mine's and I was like, okay, this is awesome. So it has become a big thing. I've really, really enjoyed the Mark III. Uh, I've enjoyed playing around with the multi-material unit as well, the MMU that goes on top of it. And of course, I went to Prusa in Prague in September and met Joseph and had a really good tour around the place and a, a nice dinner with him and his wife as well. Uh, and it's just, they're, they're very, very good people. And they've made something that's super, super amazing. And even though there's a lot of competitors and things coming along now, a lot of people talking about things like bamboo, uh, I do feel that, I, I feel like Prusa is our people, <laughs> you know, like our very community-centric, uh, open, sharing, engaging sort of people. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm enamored <laughs> with the brand. So I saw that deal pop up, order the Mark IV. Uh, now we haven't, I haven't put it on the agenda yet, and I think I'm okay to say this, but in June for NDC Oslo, I'm going to do a joint talk with my daughter, Elle, who will be almost 12, about 3D printing. And in fact, we were going to get her to do like a, a short lightning talk. And then the more I thought about it, the more I went, I think there's actually a, a full talk in this, a full one-hour talk about 3D printing, not just for kids either, that she can do because she's learned enough stuff that if I cast my adult mind back three years, if she had told me that, I would have gone, that's really cool. I've learned a lot. So I would like to push her <laughs> to do this talk. Uh, and I'm going to try and get a going to try and get a printer there as well so we can actually design some stuff, print it, do the whole thing on stage, make it a really, really cool talk. So this is really a business expense in order to help us... <laughs> <laughs> help us do the talk later on. But in all seriousness, I don't want to do it with the Mark IV. I want to do it with current-gen stuff. Meant to be a lot faster. Some really good sort of uh, first-layer perfection automatic stuff where you don't have to tune Z layers and things. For those of you who have done 3D printing before, that can be a little bit painful. Uh, so I'm looking forward to giving this a go. I've ordered, as I did with the Mark III, I've ordered the kit. So you can buy it either pre-built and you just open the box and you start printing, or you can buy it in just a gazillion different bits and pieces, and then you have to put the whole thing together yourself. Now, when I got the Mark III, my friend who already had one, and I saw it, and this is what sort of got me excited. Uh, he's he's a very he's an engineer by qualification, and so maybe this biased his opinion, but he's like, you should buy it in parts and build it 
because you will then learn how the whole thing works. And then when you have to maintain it and stuff later on, you'll feel that much more confident pulling stuff apart. And he'll spot on. And it's basically the coolest Lego kit ever. And what I mean by this is, you know, you build Lego and, and instantly it is Lego. If you're listening for somewhere else and you're saying, why isn't he saying Legos? It's because I'm saying it right. So, you know, when you build a Lego kit and the instructions are there and it's like literally step by step by step and you just follow it through and you're like, wow, all of that pretty much worked perfectly. Pretty much. It's well thought out. It's a good process. And that's what it was like. So this is one of the things I really like about the Prusa stuff. Uh, it is. It was just very, very easy to follow along. Uh, I think from memory, someone said, "Go and follow the online instructions rather than the, you know, the static PDF, whatever it was," because people make comments in there about little tips as you go through. So it'll be, you know, a bit where you're assembling the hot end or something, and there'll be a few little tips about how to make it easier from the community that contributes. So we're going to go through that again. Apparently, that will be delivered after the holiday period, which for us, because we're going to head back overseas for a month at the unboxing day. So that would be the end of Jan before we get our hands on that and we get to build a new printer, which would be really fun. And then I've got to figure out what to do <laughs> what to do with the other one. I'm going to put my phone on, uh, on Do Not Disturb. So all the messages that I'm constantly getting from my darling wife <laughs> at the moment can be dealt with later on. All right, so that is the Mark III. That's coming in a bit. Um, ZR is here. Great to catch you. Thanks, ZR. Yeah, it is well and truly live, as you can tell by me reading comments. Soundproofing. Now, um, I posted lots of photos and stuff of the work that we did in the garage, uh, which I almost no longer want to talk about. Uh, so I think it's the kitchen I no longer want to talk about because it ended up being so painful, largely due to the people building it. And <laughs> I just leave it at that. But... Uh, Anyway, it looks awesome. And one of the things I wanted to do was sort of build in an enclosure for the server rack. Um, now, in the rack, I have all of the Ubiquiti bits. I've got some network attached drives, UPSs, uh, Pi-hole, um, a home assistant, yellow, various bits and pieces, the usual rack sort of stuff. And I wanted a, a location to put it that would look pretty seamless in the garage, but I was also really worried about temperature and ventilation and airflow you know to my point 31.2 now we're <laughs> getting hotter and hotter so it gets hot here it's in a garage where and I'm, I'm still not entirely sure why but sometimes the temperature seems to get a lot higher there i've got to figure it out i do have one of those like laser heat guns you can point at doors and walls and things like that and figure out where the temperature is coming so anyway it can get quite hot in there it can regularly get over 30 degrees in there and i was worried about running all this gear and airflow so what I've ended up doing is the the rack has the usual sort of four massive fans on the top to extract, but if it's inside a, a cupboard, which is high, it's got a lot of volume above it, what happens to the air? So we built in uh, extra extractor fans towards the top of that so that we can effectively suck the air out of the out of the rack. I've got a little smoke pen for some testing as well, and it, it, the, the rack sort of draws it in from the bottom pulls all the air up, sucks it up, up to the top of this this cupboard, and then I've got four big fans, same as the top of the server rack, that blast the air back out the side. Uh, so all of that works really well. And then Home Assistant has got some some triggers based on temperature, etc., to, to turn it on when things get to, uh, get to an appropriately warm temp. Now, that's great, but now as it's gotten hotter, I've realised that I can hear it. And when I say I can hear it, it's not 
it's not super obnoxious, but it's sort of under our stairs. Scott's been here, he knows where it is. So we walk down, and I'm just walking down, and I'm like, what am I hearing now? And I actually only hear it when we don't have our air conditioning on, because when our air conditioning's on, I can hear that. But it was bugging me enough that I went, we must be able to fix this. So I've started putting soundproofing material, I bought a bunch of stuff the other day, around all the sides of it. And it's actually made a really big difference. I haven't finished yet, but it seems to be making a really big difference. So this is what I've been doing every time I need to step away from the computer the last few days. It's like going down there and like sticking this on that way, sticking this onto the walls to try and absorb all the sound. And I'm just down all the fiddly bits. And of course, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's in a cupboard. You don't see it. It will be effective if I miss little bits here and there. But yeah, that's that's sort of been fun. It actually looks pretty cool. So I'm going to get some photos of that. I think I'm going to finish that today. And I'll post those later on. So yeah, home home tech projects. Now, the other thing I've been doing this last week is loading a lot of data breaches. Uh, and as Stefan knows, because he has been doing a lot of a lot of work on some have I been pwned things, we're, we're trying to refine a bunch of stuff. And I, I feel like the looking at my schedule here, the bit about data breaches and also refining email parsing all kind of blend into each other. Um, I can't remember the last time I've had a breach that's been like 100 million records plus. It's been a long time, maybe earlier this year. Uh, lots of stuff that's in the tens, hundreds of thousands, single digit millions, a few things in double digit millions. So <clears throat> there's a lot of that going on. And we're trying to use a bunch of these breaches at the moment to refine the processing process. And also, as I've said on this channel before many times, we are rolling from Azure Table Storage into Azure SQL. And we're doing this in a very incremental way. So we started out by rolling from a, a statically sized instance of a SQL server through to a consumption model. So Azure does have a, a consumption serverless, <laughs> air quoting for people listening later, serverless model of provisioning resources. Rolled over to that a while ago. Super, super happy about that. That has uh, definitely, definitely been a worthwhile move. Um, very seamless experience to roll that over. I'm looking at my graphs and things now. I can see the number of cycles per second or whatever the measurement unit is. I forget now. <laughs> That's sort of peaking at times. Um, pretty, pretty happy with the way that whole thing has worked, with the expectation here being that if we start to move more workload away from the table storage stuff and into the SQL server, there will be more times where that needs to spin up. I am still, as you know, Stefan, I'm still wondering when we get heavy load and now every query has to hit the database, what it's going to look like. And we have been discussing some ways of, of trying to even do some caching at the Cloudflare edge. It's just hard when, particularly for things like API hits, where you've got to do API key validation and the key validation happens at Azure API management at the origin, but you're really wanting to respond from the edge at Cloudflare. So it's like, can you, can you cache the key and the response and maybe not hit the, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get around to that. But we're gradually moving in that direction. And as we're loading more data at the moment, we're trying to refine a combination of the breach load process uh, and also clean up some of the data. And in fact, I'll, I'm going to talk about this the opposite way around because I'm going to talk about that first and we'll talk about the individual breaches. So for, for the most part, loading breaches into Have I Been Pwned is there is a regex that looks at what an email address is. It's a reasonably liberal regex because it's very hard to write a strict regex for email address parsing without screwing something up. And it extracts all the email addresses and then they go 
into table storage to be migrated into SQL Server. We also have people signing up to uh, get notifications, 4.7 and a bit million now, and they enter their email address into a form. And again, there's some basic validation. We have people doing domain searches. So they enter a domain into the field. Uh, and I think they're the main ways. So they're the main ways that we get either email addresses or domains into the system. But now as we're going to migrate all of this other data from table storage into SQL Server, we're going to we're going to structure it in such a way that we have uh, effectively lookups for domains. So there's an identifier for a domain and there's the alias part of the email address. So for, a, for a, a, an individual person, let's say myself, there's my alias that'll be there as a, as a string on, on the, let's call it breached account table. And there's a domain ID, foreign key lookup to domain table. <clears throat> So we're hoping to sort of, I guess, a combination of make things quite fast when we're loading data because we're loading it based on a key and an alias and also try and optimize a bunch of the data storage as well by effectively just normalizing the schema. But then we're like, all right, now as I go through and I have a look at, there's already a domain table, which has served various other purposes. When I have a look at that table, it's a lot of shit in there. <laughs> you know, like there, there are a lot of things in there that, because of the way we did fairly liberal email address parsing, we're just not valid domains. Uh, they're domains with a space in them. You can't have a space in a domain. There are domains ending with a period. You can't have that. And then, of course, there are a finite set of TLDs. And I think, Stefan, this is the next thing that I might even do today, is just go through, and if it is not a valid TLD, then that's something that we can probably kill out of that table. And part of the reason we're doing this, I think at the moment there's about 150 million domains in that that table. If we could, for argument's sake, trim 20% out of there because they're junk, when we get to the point where we've now doing real-time lookups joining on that table and we've managed to chop a bunch of the data out, obviously that does good things for you. So it's trying to improve that integrity. Now we have uh, an open source email extractor program. It's in the Have I Been Pwned repository, github.com forward slash Have I Been Pwned <laughs> email extractor. I actually hadn't really looked at this since about April, I think. And people made some great contributions to this project, which is designed to pull email addresses out of text files. It's, it's really that simple. Because most data breaches, like the one I can see my new laptop churning away on over there, is just one or many text files, often CSVs, often .SQL files, with a whole bunch of email addresses in there in the midst of insert statements or comma delimited files or whatever it may be. And we just want the regex to go in and pull them out. So we've been refining this script to make it a combination of faster, more reliable in terms of getting the right email addresses and rejecting the stuff that shouldn't be there. And if you do live in a .NET world and you want to make a contribution, there's a whole bunch of outstanding issues. Some of them are just really little things like uh, an email address should not be able to end with a period, you know, like after the TLD in the domain. You can't have gmail.com dot. <laughs> so I know that's... That's not valid. It's a little bit of a, an academic discussion going on there. In fact, I think I'm going to update the readme on this. Uh, as an academic discussion around what is an RFC compliant email address versus what is more likely than not a parsing error. So, for example, uh, there are ways to have a double quote within the alias slash local part of the email address that is RFC compliant. But I think if you're using a double quote in any part 
of an email address, your chances of being able to register just about anywhere are not real good. So I don't think in practical terms people are doing that. And it's much more likely if we've got a double quote somewhere, anywhere in an email address, then that is a parsing error and it's an invalid address and we should strip it out. So it's discussions like that. And in fact, what I want to put in that readme <clears throat> is what's the impact of a false positive? Uh, the impact of a false positive is someone who can't register anywhere anyway because I've got a double quote in that email address also can't register on Have I Been Phone. Uh, what's the impact of a false negative where we just end up getting a bunch of crap in the database that we don't really need? And that has some degree of performance, therefore cost and latency impact on everyone else. Stefan, delete all the things. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. I think delete is, deleting as much as we can. You know, like whether it's data or whether it's code, the more we can trim this back, the better. So <clears throat> that's what we're doing. Data breaches. Let's talk about the actual data breaches. If I go through to the, uh, the Twitter feed for Have I Been Pwned, I'll do it chronologically. I put it in the, in the show notes, reverse chronologically. Let's go chronologically. Kitchen Pal. <clears throat> This is now the 25th of November. I didn't talk about this the other day because it was after I did the video. Almost 100,000 email addresses breached this month. Very fresh data. Data also includes partially complete names, DOBs, genders, heights, weights, and, quote, unusable bcrypt password. Hashes 73% already in have open pwn. Now, what did I say unusable? I did get in touch with Kitchen Pal. Uh, I can't remember whether they replied to me directly or I got a quote from somewhere where they ended up on the news, but there's all these bcrypt hashes in there. I know they're bcrypt hashes because I know exactly what sort of pattern they adhere to, but it seems like they are not the passwords of the people that signed up. It might be a bcrypt hash of something else, which would be weird, but hey. So anyway, I use their term there. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's still email addresses, right? Jamtangan, Indonesian watch store. This is one of these older ones. This was 2021. In fact, you'll see a bunch of the ones I'm going to talk about are older. And really, a lot of this is because I'm just going through trying to clean out all the stuff. I've, well, I'm never going to get through all the stuff, but a bunch of the stuff I've got sitting there. Uh, data breaches where it just wasn't immediately obvious to begin with whether it was uh, legitimate, so I hadn't done the attribution, or maybe it wasn't disclosed. <clears throat> And when perhaps I got sent it the day after it happened, it wasn't disclosed anywhere. And I went, oh, crap, I've got to go and do disclosure. Uh, and now over the course of time, it's come out anyway. And it's just an easier ask. I don't like this. I'd like to get it out earlier. But yeah, challenges. Jam Tangan. 435,000 accounts breached in July 2021. Email and IP address, name, phone number, physical address, and password stored as either unsalted MD5 or bcrypt hashes. 83% already have been found. There's another one of these ones where, and I, Scott and I have talked about this in the workshops so many times, if you're storing passwords as pretty much anything other than a modern key-stretched adaptive hashing algorithm, bcrypt style, and you want to roll, you need to just go through and rehash everything that's already in there. Go through and rehash all your MD5s, for argument's sake, as bcrypt. You can bcrypt an MD5. It's fine. But if you do what... These guys have inevitably done where it's like, oh, this has been bad. Let's now start doing things as bcrypt, but we keep all the other stuff here as MD5. On day one, 100% of your passwords a week. At what day do you get to where 0% of them a week? Well, it, it never happens because you never end up 
either rehashing the other ones or you wait till they log on and you get the password in the clear after you validated it and then you bcrypt it, but then nobody, you, you never get to 100% of people who've then logged back on. We see this so many times, so many times. Even Dropbox, the Dropbox breach was a combination of uh, SHA-1 and bcrypt. So yeah, about 50-50 on each. Bad news. And that was 2012 too. Next one, we're on Indonesia, Indie Home. Indie Home, apparently it's an Indonesian service, had 12.6 million customers' data breached dating back to 2019. Impacted data included email, name, gender, and geolocation. 0% were already in Have I Been Pwned. Now, why did I say it was 0%? There's something weird about that. Who's replying to these? Is it the bots? No. Not bots, real people. I genuinely don't see a lot of bots on Twitter. People get really upset when I say that because then they go, oh, I saw one the other day. It's <laughs> okay, good on you. Uh, now, that was a 0%. Go on the other end of the extreme. This one was only a couple of days ago. Bleach Anime. So apparently Bleach Anime is this anime series. Uh, there was an independent forum of that. 144,000 records breached in 2015. Data includes username, email, and salted MD5 passwords. 94% already have been pwned. And again, this is one of those ones just been sitting there for ages. I literally had tabs that have been open for God, God knows how long. And I just went, all right, let's just go back, deal with this, get it processed, uh, use this as part of the refinement process for some of the other code changes we're making. I'd much rather push new code for a breach with 144,000 records and have to fix some stuff than 144 million. Uh, and actually, that indie home one is the, the, probably wasn't the best one to be making code changes with 12.6 million records. It took several goes to actually get that one loaded properly because of various code changes. One of the things, incidentally, that made this a little bit hard, and I didn't say this to you directly, Stefan, when we were chatting, but you know we are talking about trying to get more constraints over valid domains. So I, I literally now have a check constraint on the column, which has got some pretty basic parsing. But the, the problem is you put a check constraint on a column and then the ingestion pipeline where the data comes in doesn't have that same logic at the ingress point. Sooner or later, when you try and put the data into the column that has the check constraint, it's going to fail. <laughs> so the failure is something like you can't have underscores in a domain name. Uh, but for some reason, some of the data in Indie Home had underscores. And it wasn't until that part of the process failed and I saw the exception message that I was like, okay, well... Got to fix that now. Brazilian bookstore. This is the yesterday one. Brazilian bookstore, Estante Virtual, had 5.4 million customer records breached in 2019. Name, username, email, physical address, phone, date of birth, because apparently you need that to buy a book. <laughs> and unsalted SHA-1 password hashes. Good on them. 79% already in have been paying. Incidentally, when I see a hash and I'm trying to figure out whether it's salted or not. And of course, if it's bcrypt, it's always salted. If it's MD5 and you see those 30, 32 characters, it's all right, it's going to be MD5. So 40 characters is going to be SHA-1. Is it salted or not? Not immediately clear. One of the easiest ways to figure it out is to take the name of the service, go and Google, create SHA-1 hash, for argument's sake, put the name of the service in the text box, get the SHA-1 hash, go back to the data breach and search for that hash. And if you find that hash, it's like, no, nope, not salted. <laughs> because literally the name of the service is what a bunch of people put in as passwords and services like these tend to allow them. So that was very, very easy to validate, uh, non-salted. 
just like the next one was. Now defunct German gaming website GoNinja had 5 million email addresses, as a caveat we'll come back to, breached in 2019. The data include username, email, IP address, and salted MD5 hash. So that was a salted hash. It does also help when there's a column called salt. If there's not a column called salt, you don't know if they've used like the username as a salt or something a little bit more abstract like that. Only 6% have been pwned. And, and the reason why, and in fact, I, I almost hesitated about loading this at all, was that more than 4 million of the addresses appeared to be auto-generated. And I can't remember the, the domain that they used. It wasn't like at gmail.com. It was some other obscure domain. And I think when I went there, it was like some Pakistani website or something that just didn't seem to fit with a German gaming <laughs> website. But there's obviously a lot of auto-generated crap in there, but there were also a bunch of legitimate email addresses because I sent, I think I sent at least hundreds, if not thousands of notification emails to subscribers that are in there. So a bunch of legitimate data as well. Scott's saying here, uh, you have to draw the line in the sand and then hash the hash. Because otherwise you're always going to be wondering, like if you've got half a database of MD5 and half a database of Bcrypt, it's like, well... Is it okay if something goes wrong now? Like half our customers have all their passwords cracked in zero milliseconds? I don't know. Like that, that doesn't seem like a good place to be. Okay, so that's pretty much where we're at. Over the, over the next week, a few things actually going to happen over the next week. So I'm going to keep processing more, more data breaches. Uh, Steph and I are still working towards moving all of that SQL, uh, all that table storage stuff rather, into SQL Azure. The other thing that's going to happen on Monday is going to be the 10th birthday of Have I Been Pwned on Monday which I find pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Now, every time I thought, should I try and do something cool for it? <clears throat> I wanted to create some cool merch or something like that and give it out or, or something to that effect. And, and everything just seemed to take time that I just, just kept evaporating. <laughs> so I just kept running out of time to do stuff. Uh, what I've settled on is I'm writing a blog post and I'll do a video next week. Uh, I might even I might even try and do something a little bit different with the video. I'll, I'll try and figure it out. But yeah, it'll be ten years on Monday, which is pretty pretty crazy. Uh, and I, I think I'll put a bit more reflective sort of stuff in that blog post, which has started. But I do need to make some. I need to stop loading data breaches. <laughs> that's that's where the time goes. And stop loading data breaches, and actually write the damn blog post. So on that note, I think I'm going to wrap this up now and go away and, and start doing that because these blog posts don't tend to write themselves. I do sit on them for long periods of time, sometimes years, depending on the blog post, just to get them right. So thanks very much for watching. I'll go and do that. And then next week will be some sort of 10th birthday edition of this video. See you, folks.